0: The reading is from Isaiah, chapter 39, verses one to eight. At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his entire armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in, his, or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good," Hezekiah replied, "for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime.
1: If we not met, uh, my name's Matt Fuller, but here we are in um, Isaiah chapter thirty-nine. Last end of our little block, i uh, look at this section at the pivot of the book of Isaiah 36 to 39. Let me um, lead us in prayer, then we'll begin. Our great God and Father, we thank and praise you that as we've sung this evening, you are a rock, you are a cornerstone in whom we can have absolute trust. You're dependable, you're reliant, you're unchanging, you're faithful And we can trust in you. And so, Father, as we turn to your unchanging, faithful word, please would you be at work, deepening our trust in you, undermining our trust in snares. Father, be about that work for our good. And for the honour of the Lord Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. What do you want people to see about you? What, um, what do you want to project? Or what, what do you want? What do you project? I was invited to a, a dinner a little while ago, and um, this is sort of, of mild interest. Uh, it was a dinner a, a while ago, and uh, I was told someone. one of the other guests at dinner would be Ian Hislop. I don't know how you define him. Comedian? Maybe. Publisher? Yes. Uh, professional cynic, probably, um, but um, Ian Hislop was going to be there, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm no fan as such, but I, I, I quite think he's funny bloke, and he's clearly well educated, sort of stimulating company. Uh, so I thought, well, I want to be able to engage with Ian Hislop. So for the first and only time in my life, I went and bought Private Eye, and um, it's all right. Uh, and uh, read that and then thought, oh, and what else? What have I read recently that might be interesting to a man? He says, oh, yes, I've read this. That's what might be interesting. And uh, so I prepared myself. I, uh, you know, I thought, I want to connect with this guy. And uh, I, don't, some, I hadn't really thought it through, but somewhere, I guess, in my subconscious, I, I wanted to sort of be mildly impressive. I, I wanted to show him that I was entertaining, that I was educated. Um, and so I was all ready. and went to dinner, and um, he didn't show up and that was a bit pathetic i mean a bit sad of me let's be honest but what do you want to display about your life what do you want to show people what do you want them to see And for some of you, it's quite easy to, to, to answer that question. You can just look at your Instagram or Facebook, and uh, there it is. That's just what I want people to see about me. Here are my friends. Look, aren't they beautiful? Uh, but not as beautiful as me in this photo here. Um, here's what I want you to see about me. Here are my holidays. Here are my activities. Um, but what do you want people to see? Well, another way, I guess, of asking the same thing, um, uh, just a thought experiment. Imagine someone you admire someone famous. Bizarrely says they're going to come to London and stay with you for a week. I don't know, a a musician you love, a sports star, I don't know, Serena Williams says I'm going to come and stay with you for a week. Johnny star, I'm going to come and stay with you for a week. Don't annoy me, I get angry. Um, Whoever it may be, says I'm going to, what would you, what would you want them to see? Who would you introduce them to? Would you want them to meet me? No. Um, But which of your friends? Yeah, I'd like them to meet, but not, and maybe not, and certainly not. What what do you want to do with them? This is my normal life, Serena. This is the sort of things I do in these sort of shops, and um, what, what would you choose to show them? What do you want people to see about you? Well, in this passage, Isaiah 39, King Hezekiah, the king of God's people, Judah, the Israelites, he has some guests. They excite him. And what does he want them to see? What's he proud of? It's his stuff. Three times he showed them his stuff killer question really in our passage tonight comes in verse 4. Isaiah engages with the king after uh, the visitors have been and gone. And Isaiah asks this question. It's a searching question. Chapter 39, verse 4. The prophet Isaiah asked, these guests, what did they see in your palace? When someone came and observed your life, Hezekiah... What did they see? What did you show them? What did you project? Wealth for Hezekiah. When the visitors came to his palace, he wanted them to see, look how wealthy I am. This then, the last I say of four in this uh, this pivots. These chapters 36 to 39 they really are the pivots of, of the book of Isaiah. For the first 35 chapters really, that the threat over the kingdom pretty much is Assyria. Assyria is the global superpower. Massive. We've got a map. We've got a little map of it. Assyria, massive. We've seen this before. Everything sort of green and the purple in the center of it. Massive superpower in the region. And tiny, tiny Judah. The, um, what is that, browny, reddy blob of uh, Judah uh, at the bottom of the corner there. That's the threat. The threat of invasion has hung over Israel. For 35 chapters, 36 to 39, the the invasion finally comes. Back to that. But um, this section, then, 36 to 39, really just relentlessly banging the drum of the question, who will you trust? So really, chapter 36, who will you trust when your faith is mocked? Your God is mocked. Chapter 37, who will you trust when you're surrounded by trouble? Uh, Last time, the, the negative, don't put your trust in rulers. They'll let you down. And here in chapter thirty-nine, don't put your trust in wealth or politics; they'll let you down, as well. So we're going to look at it like this: a couple of questions, uh, and then a the sort of conclusion to it all. Okay, so it goes a bit like this: what do the people see? Verses one to four. What will you be left with? Verses five to eight. So, what will you trust? Whom will you trust? Okay. What did the people see? What will you be left with really is the bulk of our time? First then, in verses 1 to 4, what did the people see? Now, if you hear here last time, we said these two chapters, 38 and 39, they're out of chronological order. So they come about a decade before the events of chapter 36 and chapter 37. So here we are, in around, there's a little table that shows you that on the, on the, on the, on the handouts. Here we are in about 711 BC, the invasion... When Assyria invades Judah, comes a decade later, 701. But the threat hangs over Judah all the time. Massive, massive looming issue for them. So this is quite nice. Chapter 39, verse 1, all of a sudden, Babylon, another region within the empire, sends some envoys to Hezekiah and essentially says, how about you and I? we form a deal, we get a little alliance going, so that if Assyria is more of a threat to us, we can work together. That's really what's going on. So chapter 39, verse one. At that time, uh, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, uh, yes, and all the secular sources will tell you he was the king of Babylon at the time. He sent Hezekiah letters and a gift, because he'd heard of his illness and recovery. Well, you can see what Hezekiah thinks of all this. Verse two, Hezekiah received the envoys gladly. Well, this is very exciting. Here we are in Judah, tiny country, small and unimpressive, and Babylon. Well, Babylon is something. I mean, it's not Assyria. Assyria is the superpower, but Babylon is powerful. Babylon is rich. Babylon is exotic. Babylon wants to do a trade dip. more than that, wants an alliance with us. Great. That's exciting for Hezekiah. How flattering. I mean, we could do with a little bit of extra security at the moment. So a little bit like perhaps... Yeah, UK, a little anxious about Brexit. Can we have a trade deal with America? Please, please. In fact, anyone, please, please. Well, that's Hezekiah. You want an alliance? Yeah, yeah, please, that'd be great. So he's very excited by this. And so what does he do, verse two? We're told he shows them. So twice in verse two and then repeated in verse four, he shows them. Verse two, Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, what was there, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his entire armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Wow, everything, everything in the palace, nothing left out. He showed them all his stuff. That's it, and then off they go home. Now, okay, back up a little minute. We're told, uh, chapter 39, verse 1. The part of the reason these envoys have come from Babylon is because Hezekiah has recovered from illness. Hezekiah had been about to die, and he's recovered from illness. Now, if you were here last time, you know how that happened. Let me just remind you. Chapter 38. Turn back a page. Verses 5 and 6. Hezekiah is about to die. But what happens, chapter 38, verse 5, God says to Hezekiah, this is what the, well, through the prophet Isaiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I've heard your prayer and seen your tears, I'll add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, I'll defend this city. So how has Hezekiah gone from almost dying to having another 15 years of life and a guarantee of security? God has done it. And Hezekiah sort of recognises this. So in chapter 38, in his psalm, his prayer, Hezekiah can say, verse 16, Lord, you restored me to health and let me live. Verse 17, you in your love have kept me from the pit of destruction. Or the culmination of Hezekiah's song or psalm, chapter 38, verse 20, the Lord will save me, and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. I'm going to sing of what the Lord has done for me all the days of my life in his temple. And so envoys come from Babylon and say, hey, we hear you were about to die, now you're well again. Isn't that great? And Hezekiah says, yes, it is, and the Lord has done this. And all the days of my life, I will praise the Lord, apart from, he doesn't say that. You, see, you do see it, don't you? Chapter thirty-eight, verse twenty. All the days of our lives, me and the whole people will praise the Lord for what He's done. And envoys come from Babylon, and He says nothing about the Lord. He says, "Oh, look at my money. Look at my armory. Yeah, yeah. You want an alliance? I got, I got stuff. I got cash. I got gold and silver, and I got spices." and an armory in other words I'm wealthy and I'm yeah you want to ally with me but Hezekiah you're nothing without God you were dead without the Lord and you said every day of your life you'd sing of his goodness and now people come and say how is it you're still alive and you say look at my money Trust in the Lord. It is meant to be the pattern of our life. It's not just for moments of strife, if I can put it in a naff line. Hezekiah, moments of strife. Yeah, yeah, I need you, Lord. Now things are okay. Look at my money. Chapter 26, when he's in trouble, Hezekiah seeks out the prophet Isaiah. Hezekiah, the king, says, prophet, help when he's in trouble. Here in chapter 39 in comfort, Isaiah has to seek out the king. It's the other way around. So Isaiah comes to him and asks him a load of questions. Essentially saying, Hezekiah, what are you doing? Trust in the Lord, it's meant to be the pattern of your life, not just for moments of strife. Trust in the Lord is not the genie of the lamp you just rub when times are hard. What about when life is okay? Where is your trust, Hezekiah? So Isaiah asks him, I mean, there's some fairly gentle questions, but they seem to get a, a sort of, a, the response of a sort of truculent child in some sense. So uh, verse 3, the, uh, the envoys have gone home. Verse 3, Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, um, what did those men say and where did they come from? Oh, from a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon, Babylon, you know. And they came to me, you know, is the sense of it. And the prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, everything. Hezekiah said, there's nothing among all my treasures that I didn't show them. There's sort of, you get the sense of, Isaiah, the prophet, comes to him. Hezekiah knows the sort of response he's meant to make. This is God's spokesman. When people came from Babylon saying, oh, you're about to die, now you're sick, what did you talk about with them, Hezekiah? My stuff. I showed them everything. I didn't hold anything back from them. You get this repeated emphasis of they saw everything, I held back nothing. Oh. 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 You see, here Hezekiah's trust, it's in his wealth. It's in his diplomacy. It's in a possible alliance he can make. And he doesn't mention the Lord. But without God, Hezekiah is nothing. But he feels confident. He feels strong. So he says, look at my stuff. Look at my achievements. Look at my... You want to make an alliance with me, Babylon? Look at me. That's what he wants to show them. So what about us? What about you? If you take Isaiah's question, and the prophet came to you and said, just in the last week, What did the people see in your life? What did you show them? What did you want to present to the world as it observed you? What did they see? What did you show them? Moments, well... Look, Hezekiah could sing of the Lord one day, but boast of money the next. He could trust the Lord one day, but trust in politics the next. He could love the Lord one day, but the next he loved his treasure. Trust in the Lord it's it's for all of life. What did the people see? Can't remember if I've mentioned it here. Uh, a couple of this is a little while ago. It was very striking. Midweek in Mayfair, sort Tuesday lunchtime uh, gathering. It was Phil actually interviewed a guy. Well, spare blushes, we call him Malcolm. Uh, born in Nigeria, moved to the UK uh, about the age of six, and uh, for the next 20, uh, uh, 22 years, he grew up and uh, got his degree and was set up a business as an entrepreneur with a few others uh, just around the corner in Mayfair, property business. And um, but uh, life suddenly went sideways, lost a bit of money. He had a sick kid. Anyway, age 28, he met some actually American couple in, in London. And for the first time, they shared the gospel with him and eventually led him and, and his wife and the whole family uh, became Christians. It's a lovely narrative. He says the thing that he still can't quite get his head around is that for 22 years in the UK, no one told him about Jesus. More than that, The company he set up was with two evangelical Christians. And he worked in this company for five years with them. And he said, they spoke about their ethics. They spoke spoke about their business practices. But they never spoke about their Jesus. And so what I saw were guys like me Who wanted success and they wanted to make money and they had some sort of religious veneer, but they didn't show me Jesus. What did he see? What did his partners show him? We love money, we love success. They didn't show him Jesus. He said, Five years. They never showed me Jesus. What do you show the people? What do they see? That's the question. Verses 1 to 4. What do the people see? Uh, second then, as it goes alongside it, uh, verses 5 to 8. What will you be left with? So here's how Isaiah says, okay, as Hezekiah, you've bogged it. You know you've bogged it. That's why you're being so truculent. And here is the Lord's response, and it's devastating. Now, we're not to think that this judgment in verses 5 to 8 comes, or 5 to 7 comes as a result of one mistake that Hezekiah makes. This is God's judgment upon the whole nation for centuries of rejection, and rebellion of him. But he's told it here, verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Huh. You see in verses th- 1 to 4, we had twice. What did you show them? Verse 4, they saw everything, says Hezekiah. There is nothing among my treasures, treasures I didn't show them. Verse 6, Isaiah says, yeah, yeah. And those Babylonians, they will come back and they will take, verse 6, everything. And you'll be left with Nothing. It's fairly devastating. They lose everything. There's nothing left. Some of your descendants, I mean, miserable, verse 7, your own flesh and blood will be taken off into slavery and pretty brutal slavery. They become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. But I guess the real killer is it is Babylon. Hezekiah, you, you didn't mention the Lord at all. You said, I want an alliance with Babylon. That's who you're trusting. And that Babylon will come back in a 100 or so years and they'll take everything from you. That's who you've been trusting, Hezekiah? Everything. The, your rock, your foundation, that's what your life is built upon. They're gonna take everything and leave you with nothing. That's who you're trusting? You're a fool, Hezekiah. You trust Babylon? She'll let you down. And so, what about you and me? What do you trust, CCM? Money? And you say, well, I haven't got very much of that. All right. Parents' money? future-earning potential money? It'll let you down. Health? I've got my health. Fit. Could do anything in the future. I'll let you down. You look, I've got potential, you know. My career. That excites me. It'll let you down. Someone shared with me recently... um, I didn't quite see it. I didn't see it myself, but they uh, heard about it from them. Uh, They said they'd watched um, Matt Damon interviewed on Graham Norton. And uh, uh, no doubt, having had one or two drinks in the green room and a glass of wine with Graham on the sofa, um, he was in a fairly garrulous mood. And They got talking about uh, the fact that he'd won an Oscar age 27. I mean, that is a fairly indecent age uh, to win an Oscar. But he said, you know, he won this Oscar, and he got it home. Hey, goodwill hunting. You know, wonderful. Hey, I've won an Oscar. age 23. Pretty impressive. And he got home, and he said, I had a moment of epiphany holding this little statuette. He said, uh, let me quote. I thought to myself, imagine chasing that Oscar. Imagine chasing it, not getting it. And all your life thinking, I want an Oscar, I want an Oscar, I'm Meryl Streep, I want an Oscar, I want an Oscar, whatever, uh, and never being given it. And then finally, <clears throat> finally in your 80s, you get the Oscar and you think, is that it? My life, I've been eaten up by wanting this. He said, "You you win it, and then you, with the whole of your life behind you, you realize what an unbelievable waste." And he was sort of slightly choking up as he said this. It was it was only a few months after Robin Williams had died, so he's probably thinking, "Goodwill Hunting, I got the Oscar with Robin Williams. He's now dead." See, so he's choking up slightly on the sofa. You can watch it on YouTube. He said, "What an unbelievable waste." Because this, it can't fill you up. If there's a hole that you have, it won't fill it. So there I was, and I looked at Oscar, and my heart broke for a second, like I imagined an old version of me saying, where did my life go? What did I achieve? And then it's gone. And even Graham Norton is slightly struggling to turn that into something funny. Who is not? What will you be left with? If you trust money, health, your career. You get to the end of life and go, oh, what will I be left with, you see, the only one, the only thing that will never let you down is the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus. I guess thinking of this, I was reminded of, um, you know, the missionary, was missionary to China, CT, CT starts. his little doggerel. It goes on for about 20 stanzas, but you'd have heard of a couple of them. Two little lines I heard one day as I traveled on life's busy way. Bringing conviction to my heart, and from my head it would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for the Lord will last. What will you be left with? Hezekiah, you'll be left with nothing. Your whole country left with nothing. You build your trust on alliances on your wealth, upon your army? Nothing. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for the Lord will last. What will you be left with? What do the people see? What will you be left with? So the conclusion at the end of this whole section these four chapters really is a simple one. So what will you trust? In the end, what will you trust? Verse eight is a funny old ending to the section. Verse eight. What do you make of this that Hezekiah says to uh, the prophet, the prophet Isaiah? So Hezekiah says this. Oh, the word of the Lord you've spoken is good. Hezekiah replied, for he thought, well, there'll be peace and security in my lifetime. Well, that's a bit selfish, isn't it, for the king to say that? Everything's going to go Hezekiah after you've dead. Oh, good. Your descendants, your relatives, they'll be. Made into eunuchs and uh, taken into slavery, but I'm all right. Oh, good. As long as I'm fine, stuff the rest of them. Thanks, King. A strange note to end the section on. Now we do need to remember this is this event is is ten years before uh, Assyria invades, and you get. Hezekiah's finest hour, when he does lead the nation in faith. He does lead them to trust the Lord when uh, Assyria invades them. So you've got to bear that in mind. But also the comparison is quite instructive. Uh, Chapter 36, 37, Hezekiah, he can resist persecution. He can resist invasion and persecution, but he can't resist his seduction. And so Assyria turns up with an army and Hezekiah says, no, I trust the Lord. But Babylon turns up with a treaty and money and says, oh, I like you. It's just instructive, I think. He could resist persecution, invasion, just not seduction. It's more subtle. But trust in the Lord, you know, it's, it's the pattern of life. It's not just for moments of strife. But Isaiah wants us to leave us uh, with this about King Hezekiah. In the end, he's selfish. That's the last thing he wants. I mean, it's not chronologically the last thing of his life, but that's what Isaiah wants to remind us of. Oh, by the way, you read some good stuff about Hezekiah. He's not that great. You need one better than him. And in the book of Isaiah, he'll say, Oh, well, let me tell you about a better one. Chapters 40 to 55, let me tell you about one who will come as a servant, one who will suffer for you, one who will give his life for you. There's a better king to come than Hezekiah. Let me tell you about one, I, well, I won't tell you his name, but later on you'll find out his name is Jesus. That's the king you're waiting for. And you get to the pages of the New Testament and you read about the life of Jesus and he does unfailingly trust in his father. So it's not the same as envoys from Babylon, but Luke 18, a rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what Jesus doesn't do is say, good teacher. Well, yes, I am quite a good teacher, actually. Um, Thank you for noticing. Uh, And you're rich and a ruler. Perhaps you and I can work together and uh, we can form an alliance and we can do some stuff. Doesn't do that, as you well know. He says, Young man, you have a problem. You love money. And you can't get into the kingdom of God if you love money that much. You need to sell what you've got if you're going to follow me. Jesus tells it straight. Or you keep on reading, and Jesus stands before Pilate and Herod, the two rulers, and they're intrigued by him. Who are you? You say you're a king. And, of course, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, should we have an alliance? He doesn't want to impress them. He's faithful. He trusts his Father. He's the king we've been waiting for. He's the one we need. He's the one we trust. He'll never let you down. And, of course, we need reminding constantly If you're here and you trust the Lord Jesus for your eternal salvation, you inherit the world. He will give you the earth. You just got to wait for it. But you'll not be short. If you trust Him, you get the lot. If you trust anything else, you get nothing. So, trust him. You get the lot. Question. I want to ask one another afterwards. Be honest with your friends. Question. What do the people see in your life? What do you choose to show the people around you? What do the people see? Answer. Is it? Could it be? They, they see that I trust Jesus, and that if I have him, I have everything. Could they see that? I mean, when we think rightly, when we think clearly, it's true. But what would the people see? Let me lead us in prayer together. Our great God and Father, you know us well. You know the things we get right. You know the flaws in our hearts. You know well how we choose to display ourselves to the world. You know well what we want to show people. You know well what we choose to let people see. Our great God and Father, would you bring home to us once again the folly of trusting Anything but the Lord Jesus Christ, the folly of building our lives upon money we may have in our storehouses or power we may have or our health or our career or whatever it may be, would you be persuaded again more deeply, more truly that that is folly to trust those things? But in the Lord Jesus, we do have one we can trust. We do have one who will never let us down who is absolutely solid, who will give us what we need, eternal life. And in trusting him, we get the lot. We inherit the earth. Father, would you deepen our trust in him? Because we need it. We need to know that everything else will let us down. Would we trust him for our good, for the honor of his name? Amen.